This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Dana Perino, and this is Perino on Politics. This past weekend, Hamas militants released a group of hostages in exchange for the release of Palestinian prisoners during a temporary ceasefire agreement with Israel. As global tensions continue to escalate, the nation closely watches President Biden as he governs a country that's heavily divided on the conflict in the Middle East. Joining me today to provide his political perspective is my friend Karl Rove. As you know, Karl Rove is a Fox News contributor. He was the deputy chief of staff under George W. Bush, and he writes an amazing column every Thursday in the Wall Street Journal. I could go on and on. The most important title is grandfather, of course. Carl, welcome to Perino on Politics. Well, thanks for having me. Happy, happy post-Thanksgiving. Yes, here we are for the post-Thanksgiving. Now we have the sprint to the Iowa caucuses. So that's happening, you know, under 50 days. Yeah, 49 days from today, I think. And do you get, like, do you have nostalgia when you think back to 2000 and George W. Bush's win in Iowa and, of course, then the loss in New Hampshire? Do you have nostalgia in a fond way or do you get the heebie-jeebies? I get the heebie-jeebies. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, no, this is for anybody involved in a campaign at the you know, uh, running a campaign or being responsible for one of these early states. Now is now is when you're, you know, you're, you're living on nerves only. You're not sleeping well. You're not eating well. Uh, you know, hopefully you're, you're, you're keeping your, your uh, fears and anxieties under check, but uh, it's not a fun time. But, you know, looking back, uh, Iowa was good to us. New Hampshire was not. South Carolina, we made it what it what we needed to make it, which was a victory and thereby ended the contest. But this one's going to be far more complicated just because simply because we have more real people involved in the effort. And uh, and we have a domineering figure atop it in the form of the former president, Donald Trump. And uh, and yet, uh, you know, all kinds of surprises can and will happen. And one of those that we should just touch on, and I just, you know, briefly, but I think it is important because it's one of those things that comes along as that is a surprise um, or something that you has to gra- that a president has to grapple with. And that is a world event. And of course, Americans being involved as well. And that is October 7th terrorist attack where Hamas raped, pillaged, murdered and kidnapped over 250 people that were kidnapped, uh, killed about 1,400, I believe, that was the final count. And now you have, Carl, reports of dissent within the White House about President Biden's position, which has been very strong to support Israel, and reports out of that meeting that President Biden was moved by it. And the White House meeting might actually portend a little bit more to what the whole country is feeling what I didn't get in the article that the Washington Post had with 27 different sources was any sort of pushback against the people who thought President Biden was in the wrong for him to explain to everyone why he's right. And he'll not only need to do that within the White House, but to the rest of the country, indeed the world. 
How will an event like this shape the presidential contest or will it not? Well, it, it certainly will have an effect on it. It may not be especially political in the sense of, you know, Republican versus Democrat, but this is going to clearly affect people's view of how strong and effective the president is in a moment of crisis, the sitting president. And uh, it was a pretty extraordinary article. I mean, think about it. Uh, you and I worked in the White House and people were allowed, obviously, to offer up their opinions. But to have, you know, dozens of people gather together and say, we want to, you know, strongly disagree with what the president is doing, many of whom have, you know, uh, nothing to do with foreign policy. Uh, it was pretty extraordinary. But um, moments like this bring out they they, sh- they they show in sharp contrast the strengths and weaknesses of our chief executives. Clearly, one of the things that is motivating President Biden in this instance is his longtime affection for and support for the state of Israel. This is very personal to him. He constantly talks about how 50 years ago he met Golda Meir, the famous uh, prime minister of, of Israel, and how she told him that, um, you know, in essence, we have no place else to go. Uh, that's what that is both our strength and our weakness as a nation, she said. Uh, you know, we have to get seared by the Holocaust. Um, you know, Jews gather together in their ancestral land. And she said, we have no place else to go. Therefore, we must defend Israel. And this this is in his heart. You know, it really is amazing. My, my friend, uh, Andrew Roberts, the British historian, has written a wonderful piece. The great uh, biographer, Winston Churchill, an expert on World War II, and he said, think about this. In World War II, uh, Eichmann, the architect of the final solution, the extermination of the Jews in Europe, uh, gave a speech to the hierarchy of the of the German military and said, we're not going to be able to talk about the extermination of the Jews. It'll be one of the great moments of, of German history, but we, for, you know, for, for the purpose of the world, we must not speak of it. And yet on October 7th, we had these terrorists, these Hamas terrorists, brutally slain innocents. They, they weren't attacking military posts. They were attacking kibbutzes and, you know, and confronting ancient, you know, mm-hmm. grandparents, and babies and children and, you know, for young, young couples with their children and, 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 and murdering them and killing them and raping them and butchering them and doing so with their GoPro cameras on. Their, their heads so that they could, you know, show videotape of this all to the world. And we and it's now available. I mean, you go you don't have to go very far on the Internet in order to find some of the footage that the terrorists use to glorify their butchery. And uh, and Andrew's point is, is that how, how far have we come from the Nazis saying we we were going to kill the Jews, but we can't talk about it or draw attention to it to the Hamas terrorists saying, oh, let us glory in our killing of the Jews by videotaping it for the world to see. Yes. And we have the hostages coming back. And so obviously we're all watching that. Um, And we pray for the healing, especially of of those that were taken underground. We're just getting little bits and pieces now of what their captivity was like. And it was grim. Uh, So we'll stay on top of that. But in the meantime, the other problem President Biden seems to have, Carl, is that the poll numbers just keep going down and blaring on the Drudge Report over the weekend was this report from Politico saying it's not getting better for President Biden, especially on the economic front, on the polling front. And yet it's interesting to watch. I know that behind the scenes, Democrats will say, oh, my gosh, this is really bad. But they try to put on a brave face. And you have somebody like a Jim Messina saying 
it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And I know he's a really smart guy and maybe he's right. I just wonder what you think. Well, he is a, first of all, he is very smart and he's a friend of mine. And, and look, he's been through something like this. Obama's numbers were bad in 2011 on the economy, on the performance in office, on the head-to-head matchup with his prospective Republican opponent, Mitt Romney. And Messina was a campaign manager. And what they did was they decided that they would make the campaign a choice, not a referendum, not a referendum on, on, on Barack Obama's time in office, but a choice between two different visions for the future. And so they went off after Mitt Romney. As soon as he secured the nomination, they had a massive plan that, that I think about the 1st of April, the president, then President Obama went out and attacked Romney by name in a speech, pointing, uh, painting him as a heartless plutocrat with little concern for the for ordinary Americans and their challenges. And they never let up. And and as a result, President Obama was able to, to mm. win re-election, albeit narrowly. Now, the problem with that analogy to Joe Biden is when we looked at Barack Obama in 2011 and 12, we saw a young man, a, purpose, a person with energy and active and engaged and smart and articulate with terrific political skills. And so there was never a doubt that while we might have not have liked everything that he did in office, people said, well, you know, he's up to the job. The problem with President Biden is, is that people are concluding that he's not up to the job. Three quarters of the American people in poll after poll say he's too old, including in the one poll, 69 percent of Democrats. And about two thirds of the American people think he lacks the mental acuity and energy to be effective in the Oval Office. And so if he decides that he's going to go after the ultimate Republican nominee, whoever he or she might be, uh, and particularly if it's Donald Trump and beat them by saying, uh, they're worse than I am. They, they, he doesn't start from the same position of strength that Jim Messina's candidate did in 2011. Mm-hmm. I understand that in terms of two competing visions of the future of the country, um, that makes a lot of sense to me, especially in that election we're talking about in terms of Obama's reelect. I think what the White House is signaling that they will try to make this a choice about is stability, like with Biden, or chaos if President Trump is the nominee. And I guess we will see where that goes. But the other challenge for President Biden appears to be with black voters, not all black voters, but some. And I listened to the run up over the weekend and Ested Herndon did a really interesting personal focus group with family and friends, uh, older black Americans, younger ones. And then he separated women and men and talked to them separately. And it was very interesting because, Carl, in a lot of these places, for President Trump or whoever the nominee is, for them to win, they don't need to win all of the black vote. They just need to win more than they had before. And polls today, if the election were held today, it looks like the Republicans would do fairly well with a certain number of black Americans that they hadn't had before. And I think a lot of that also, again, comes back to the economy. Yeah, it's not just black, younger black men in particular, it's Hispanics, it's Asian Americans. It's younger voters. Uh, you know, talk about three groups that Joe Biden's victory in 2020 depended on. And then you got them right there. And yes, the, the problem is a lot of them say, you know what? Things were better when the Republicans were in control of the White House. And they may have misgivings about Donald Trump. You see that in the, the Donald Trump in the battleground states is ahead of Joe Biden. But whether it's Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or the generic Republican, I, I was interested. One poll said I think Trump was up by like two. DeSantis was up like four. 
Nikki Haley was up over eight points over Biden, but the generic Republican in the battleground states was up by 16. So their general sense is things were better for me before the Democrats took over the White House. And it's going to be very problematic for Biden to, to overcome that. He's been tone deaf for the last year and a half, in my opinion. He's been saying everything's getting better. Well, maybe some of the numbers say that things are getting better, but people are having to make big adjustments in their lives. They're if you take a look at, at inflation and wages uh, over since he took office, in, uh, the cost of things is up about 18 mm-hmm. percent and the median household income is down about 3 percent. So that's a 21 point delta. That's, you know, so what you go, were able to buy in 2020 uh, is costing you between the loss in the wages and the growth in inflation, it's costing about one-fifth more. Yeah, and they and keep going. As I'm sure this drives you a little bit crazy. It does me. They keep taking the president to go do events to show that the economy is better than people think they are. And they'll take him to say, this is where we're going to build this amazing bridge, or this is where this new Amtrak station is going to go. or this." And it's like, no, this is not affecting people's day-to-day pocketbooks. Yeah, You're just taking exactly. them to like these big macroeconomic points and they keep saying the job market is so good. Well, the job market is tight. This is true. But if people feel like they can't make ends meet because groceries are more expensive and they remember that and it's in, it just indelible in their memories, then that's not going to change things. And so sometimes from a White House comm standpoint, I go a little nuts. Well, you should because, uh, you know, like like in, in infrastructure. We got about thirty billion dollars in a year in infrastructure uh, in, as a result of the infrastructure bill, which incidentally Joe Biden opposed. He didn't want it brought up because he thought it undermined his quote "build back better" proposal, and then quote the Inflation Reduction Act. But there's thirty billion dollars a year in in big pro, in, in big infrastructure projects over the next decade. Well, how big is our economy? Twenty trillion plus. So thirty billion dollars on infrastructure spread across the country is. It's going to be good for our country, probably. But the idea that it's making some huge improvement immediately in Mm -hmm. people's lives, that maybe it is if you're working on the construction crew. But to the vast majority of people, that ain't the problem. The problem is they go to the grocery store or they go to buy clothes for the kids to go back to school or they think about Christmas presents and everything costs more. And it's and it's uh, and their wages have not kept up. Yeah. Um, Maybe a a comment from you about what is it like the sprint for the remaining Republican primary candidates between now and the voting on January 15th? Yeah. Isn't it funny? We have had months and months and months of activity in Iowa. And the next seven weeks are the most important time because Iowa, they take their time and they make up their decision late. I mean, at this point in 2016, I think it was Ben Carson was ahead in Iowa and Ted Cruz won, mm-hmm. you know, in, in 2008. At this point, Hillary Clinton was was ahead. And in early December, Barack Obama made a fantastic speech at a huge Democratic fundraising dinner and won the the, the caucuses uh, eclipsing Hillary Clinton not too many weeks after. So this thing is is rarely is it like 2000 where Bush worked hard, d- developed, you know, went in there in June of 20. Of, of uh, 1999 and then one in January of 2020, about six months later, with a very strong finish in Iowa. Generally, what happens is that they make up their minds late. And, and you see this in the latest Iowa poll numbers. President Trump says, I'm, you know, I'm winning by 60 points. Well, in Iowa, he was 42 points, 42 percent in August, 43 percent in October. 
And of the people who said they were for him, 29 of his 43 points said, my mind is made up. I'm for Donald Trump. But 14 of the 20 of the 43 said, I'm, I'm um, you know, I'm open to voting for somebody else. That's how fluid things are there. So how much time people spend and how well their organization is and how 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 good the quality of their message is in the remaining 49 days is going to have a big impact. Some people will literally go into the caucuses saying, I got a short list of two or three people and I'm waiting to hear what their advocates say in the, in our giant precinct caucus where we're, where everybody's given a chance to speak on behalf of their candidate before we vote that, you know, I'll make up my mind after I hear what they have to say. So interesting. Before we wrap up, we have this candidate quotable. The question is, which presidential candidate is responsible for the following statement? Shut down those federal bureaucracies. That's how you revive the economy. That's how you liberate the potential of a democratic country like the United States. And we'll have that answer coming up. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And we're back with Perino on Politics. Carl, I wanted to ask you something to explain to people who might be hearing about the differences between states that are winner-take-all versus proportional winners. And I remember when you taught me all about this and I thought, oh, and I understood the history of it finally. But I think it's important to just remind people how this works going into the primary season. Well, first of all, there's one set of rules for everybody before March 15th on the Republican side and a different set of rules for everybody who's holding their primary caucus March 15th or later. And the the rules for the Republicans are different than the rules for the Democrats. On the Republican side, before March 15th, you cannot have a explicitly winner take all primary. You have to be you have to have some process by which you award delegates, both congressional district and statewide on a proportional basis. And, you know, generally there's a trigger. You have to somebody has to get a minimum number of votes like 10% or 15% or 20% of the vote before they are eligible to win a delegate. But you know you have to split up the votes, generally three votes per congressional district and then a certain number of delegates based on whether uh, statewide delegates based on how, you know, do you have Republican governor? Do you have Republican senators? Do you have a Republican legislature? Uh, and then, a, then a, a certain number just generally for every state based on size. So and through March 15th, uh, like Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina uh, are, and then the bunch of primaries on the 5th of March, those have to be proportional. Now, California, which is going to be held on March 5th, is give, has, has a rule that says if you win more than 50% statewide, you get all the delegates. I'm not certain whether that's going to be seen as conforming to the winner-take-all rule or not. Is there somebody but, in the current race that benefits from either way? Well, uh, the the fact that you you have a bigger field and the, and the candidates can sort of stay in there a little bit longer helps the front runner Donald Trump, and and things like California that says if you get fifty percent, you get them all, that helps somebody like Trump who might have the potential of doing that, but but um, 
it, it makes it it makes it a little muddier early on, uh, but it also um, makes the contest last longer. Now, the, the, the interesting thing will be this year on March 5th, we're going to have the biggest Super Tuesday of any Super Tuesday of any primary election in the history of America. That Mega is Super say, Tuesday. Mega Super Tuesday or Super Duper Tuesday, <laughs> because there's going to be 13 contests on the Republican side, mm. including the two largest delegations to the National Convention, Texas and California. California has generally been in June, for example, their, their primary. But there, there will be 746 delegates. There'll be a, an adjustment when they when they figure out the outcomes of the Louisiana, Kentucky, and Virginia elections. Will all affected only a margin of a few a few votes here and there. But 700 that's about that's more than half of what you need in order to win the nomination. So that that is going to be a big day where depending on how many Republican candidates there are in the race, there's either going to be a one dominant figure. Uh, because there are a lot of candidates or there's going to be, you know, two or three people in the race uh, and splitting up that number and, mm. and as a result, lengthening the contest. After March 15th, states are are it's possible for them to have rules that say winner take all. I'm not certain how many states really like doing that. I mean, the, typically what happens is on the later contests like New Jersey, which is on in, in June and South Dakota and New Mexico, what typically happens is by that time you end up having every, somebody win all of the delegates because the contest is effectively over and everybody else is right. withdrawn. And is it the case still that the state party is responsible for most of the get out the vote effort or has that changed over time? Well, uh, you mean in the general election or the yeah, I'm caucus? sorry, in the general election, yes. Yeah, in the general election. Well, it, it, yeah, the, look, the party organizations are, are important to that because they have the volunteers and the infrastructure and the county chairs and the precinct mm -hmm. chairs. So it is typically, uh, you know, the, in the hands of the state party for good or for ill or, and the county, major county parties. Yeah, so but I bring it up because I keep reading about how, especially on the Republican side, the parties in many of the swing states are a mess. They oh, don't yeah. have money. They have infighting. They can't get their acts together. And I'm wondering well, if the candidates looking ahead, if they think they're going to make it to the general election, are thinking, we got a big problem here. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly right. Michigan, for example, and Arizona are really in tough shape, and Georgia's in tough shape. Georgia's an example of what has to happen, and that is the governor stepped in in 2022 and said, I'm on the ballot, so I'm going to take the lead in doing the get-out-the-vote effort, and he's taking the lead again for 2024 because the state party is – uh, racked by dissent and anger and dis, you know disappointment over the 2020 election and spending most of their money to defend uh, members of the party leadership that participated in the in the fake elector the alternative elector scheme so Arizona this is the classic the people who took control of the Arizona Republican Party before the 2022 election saw the Republican candidate for Senate and governor and attorney general uh, and uh, all of whom they, 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 this faction of the party uh, selected all go down to defeat. And so what's happening? The same people who led the Arizona Republican Party in, in, in losing the 2022 election are now saying we, we've got a for-profit entity that we're, where we want to get hired by uh, state parties around the country in order to, uh, to do their get-out-the-vote operations. I, I think there ought to be a little bit of uh, maybe uh, – a little bit of focus on on the home turf and getting it done there before they start offering their skills to 
people in other parts of the country, they did, from my perspective, a pretty terrible job in getting out the vote in Arizona in 2022. And now they want to do right. that same. So it's, you know, it's uh, going to be uh, a close uh, election. And so all of these yeah. things will really matter. So your, your expertise Big and ex- explanation is good. OK, that wraps up this segment. Before we go to our next one, here's the answer to your candidate quotable. Shut down those federal bureaucracies. That's how you revive the economy. That's how you liberate the potential of a democratic country like the United States. Yes, that quote is from tech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy. We have more Perino on Politics coming up. Welcome back to Perino on Politics. Carl, I wanted to find out when you are sitting less than a year away from a general election, are there things that you pay attention to that the mere mortals among us would not necessarily have in mind? Like, what am I possibly missing in this look ahead? Well, I'm, I'm paying more attention to third party candidates and what's happening on that, that front. Third party candidates, uh, a third party candidate won't win the general election in all likelihood. It's the last time that happened was in 1860. But in the last time when they came close was 1912 with Theodore Roosevelt. But third party candidates do have a big impact on the election by the nature of the votes that they attract and from whose camp they attract them. Ross Perot, for example, in 2000, excuse me, in 1992, tended to attract more people from the Republican ranks than they did from Democratic ranks. And so Cornell West, who might also draw people from the Democratic camp and uh, the Libertarian candidate, whoever that is, will tend to draw from the Republican camp. And if Robert Kennedy runs as an independent and is able to get on a number of ballots, that'll hurt the Yeah, Democrat. he gets a lot of um, relatively decent amount of support from black Americans. Yeah. And he also gets some support across the political spectrum because Mm -hmm. he's seen as a leader in the anti-vax movement and the anti-vax movement includes people on the right and the left. It might be our most bipartisan issue. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, call me call me call me pro-vaccine. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I know that, you know, the Democrats who are still so mad at Jill Stein of the Green Party in 2016, like I guess she's doing it again. Yeah. Well, and yeah, think about that. In 2016, Jill Stein got her vote totals in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania were bigger than Hillary Clinton's losing margin. And similarly, in 2020, Joe Jurgensen, who is a she's a, a, a psychology lecturer at Clemson University in South Carolina, the libertarian candidate for president, her votes in Arizona, Wisconsin and Georgia were were bigger than Don, than Donald Trump's losing margin. So uh, in both of the last two presidential elections, there have been third-party candidates who pulled enough votes from one candidate or the other to basically deny them the election. Hmm. The other thing that's happening, and my last question for you, I am living for this debate that Sean Hannity is going to host between Governor Newsom of California and Governor DeSantis, also presidential candidate of Florida. And I like the promos that Fox is running because it says it's, you know, it's the red state model versus the blue state model. Which do you prefer? And I think this debate will be really good. I'm glad that Sean had the idea. I'm really glad that the two governors agreed to do it because I feel like this is the debate people really want to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we've already got a a, a, uh, we've already had an indication of how uh, the American people respond to that debate. A hell of a lot more people left California than moved to California. And a bunch of them went to Florida and Florida, very few people left and a heck of a lot of people moved in. So, uh, you know, one state to think about this for the first time since California became uh, a state in 1850 in the last reapportionment, it lost members of Congress. Mm -hmm. 
It declined in its relative population to the rest of the country declined for the first time since it became a state. And uh, Florida, on the other hand, continued to grow, as did my obviously my home state of Texas. It sure did. Well, we're looking forward to that. And I bet that they are preparing because it's, yeah. it's not going to be easy. It's, it's live in Atlanta. That's the neutral location. That's, of course, Hannity's old stop, stomping grounds. So I'm excited for that and excited for you, Carl, and all that you do. I love your writing. I love having you on Fox. But most of all, I really cherish you as my friend. Thank you, pal. I love you, too. All right. Well, we, before you go, we have to do a quick quiz. You get to choose between three categories, candidate LinkedIn, campaign slogans, or presidential pets. Presidential pets. Okay. John F. Kennedy's daughter, Caroline, had a pet pony while at the White House, and its name was A. Charlie, B. Macaroni, or C. Secretariat. Macaroni. Yeah. Did you know that, or did you guess? I did. I did Of course know you that. did. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah. Of course you did. I'm thank, I thank God you read the list, because when you said macaroni, I said that was it. That's what that was it. I'm sure that when she, you know, it's funny when... Children name animals. Um, a friend of our, a, a guy that um, that you knew, he's since passed, Mark Maddox. He had his children convinced him to get a dog, and so they got this beautiful dog, a Springer, Springer Spaniel, and they bring it home and they named it Cuddles. But he was the one that had to take it to the dog park every day, and he was like, "I can't, I can't do that. I can't call it yell for the dog Cuddles." So his nickname was Mister C. <laughs> Well, I don't. I don't have to worry about the name of my dog. His name is Doc Holiday, and everybody—he's the mayor of the dog park, and everybody knows Doc. They sure do. Well, we got to get Doc and Percy together one of these we days. Do. We shall do it. Carl, thank you. Have a great day. You too. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.